heard someone say, you know, this idea that like, love your neighbor as yourself. Well, you have to have a self to love. You complete me on a very high level is unhelpful. Um, one, because it implies that you are missing something on your own that you cannot, you cannot find within you. And for the fear that initially shows up when we start inviting into this different way, uh, it's like, oh gosh, my encouragement is always like, you're going to get so much more when you get in touch with your whole self and your spouse gets in touch with their whole self and then like the powerhouse that that becomes when you have two whole people with voices and um, connecting in that is just it's a really beautiful thing we are two unique female professionals and friends that have come together to have meaningful conversations and a little fun along the way Welcome to the Arable Podcast, where curious minds grow. I'm your host, Jenna Mountain. And I'm your other host, Kimberly Galindo. Okay, so you and I have been chatting a bit, maybe more than a bit, um, on this topic and decided that it would be the next good layer um, to discuss openly and candidly and messy like I think it's it's mm-hmm. a messy conversation because and we just see this a lot with couples yeah um but even outside of couples and marriage relationships we see this just in relationships in general mm-hmm. and it is like most things you and I enjoy sitting over coffee or wine or whatever and just dialoguing about for the sake of dialoguing and unpacking. It's a complex, a little bit of a mind bender, mental gymnastics, if you will. And so we wanted to come on the podcast today and have this messy conversation about the cultural myth which you so delightfully threw on Instagram recently of you complete me. Yeah. And all the other ideas that go with this, like autonomy and self-differentiation and boundaries. And if we go inside the faith-based communities, you know, both of us identify um, as Christians, like this idea of two becoming one, it just gets very, very messy. And as two professionals that coach and or counsel people towards intimacy depending on the setting or educate you know we speak a lot this this when when left um oversimplified and not unpacked is is actually counterintuitive to intimacy uh, and, and a lot of times it's because again just cheap language kept too high level, not nuanced, not explored. So that's where we're going to go today. We're going to talk about this cultural myth of you complete me inside of romantic relationships. Although where we go has implications for all relationships and connections. Yeah. 
And, like, to your point, I think it, it shows up in a lot of context, you know? I mean, you can believe these entertainment in Hollywood, and we see that in... Our favorite rom-coms. What used to be rom-coms, they're no longer really a phenomenon, but, like, this, um, to that, just cultural nomenclature of you're my better half, right? So we have two halves in the whole. We have, um, you know, in the Christian context, um, the two become one. Um, and so just all these phrases that I think we've accepted but not challenged. Um, and then I think it, it starts to break down and become problematic, and we see that where we step in, whatever role that might be, and... I don't know about you, but I experienced a lot of folks feeling frustrated and confused and even ashamed because it's like it's something about this isn't working. But I'm um, following this rule of whatever pocket culture. And it's, yeah. I'm not getting the results that I want. Yeah, but I'm, I'm pursuing something healthy. And then you have a therapist go, well, it might be enmeshment. You know, and you're like, what's that? That sounds or codependent. Bad. <laughs> or codependence. And, you know, it's, it just needs, I think, I think it needs some, some clarity and some nuance, as I think most, you know, most things do in relationships. I think we've oversimplified and overgeneralized some things. And so, yeah, what does it look like to be in healthy relationships? And if we're not going to do the, oh, I'm just going to sit here and wait and you complete me, you know, what What does that look like? And we, we would say it's going to start moving towards what we call differentiation. Mm-hmm. Um, which means there is a level of separateness. Right. Which then that feels scary, I think, for a lot of folks. I mean, at least that's what I hear. Um, the feedback I get, it feels scary. Right, like they're trying to be more connected. It's not working. I've been thinking about this a lot lately. Bear with me. I'm going to rabbit trail and hook back around, I think, productively. When I, what's been coming up a lot for me as I try to drill down onto some of these unhelpful, you know, cheap beliefs, like we're, we're going to unpack this one, a lot of them end up boiling down to a scarcity mentality. I think this is happening here too. I am trying to deeply connect with this other person. I'm trying to be this, have this, you know, beautiful, Mm -hmm. like, so the, so the desire for and the pursuit of the intimacy is not the problem, but it's not working at the moment. And that's what you and I are going to unpack why that doesn't work in this, like, I'm not complete without you way. And because it's not working, by the time they start working with, a, a professional of some sort and the professional may make the reflection that you just said, which is like, Hey, that might be investment and codependence, which is not going to lead to intimacy. We're truly asking them to back off first. Right. So the great unlearn before you have to relearn something, which is a huge part of most healing processes. And as we ask them to back off because they are not currently satiated and have not had satiation in their intimacy maybe a lot, maybe for a long time, there a scarcity mentality has set in and there's this deep resistance to doing what we sometimes coach to do, which Mm -hmm. is sort of what you're talking about. Yeah. So I think by the time we start going, hey, we have to pull you apart a little bit 
in order for you to actually feel connected. It, it, it just feels so counterintuitive. And then they've got scarcity mentality boiling underneath. Like there's already not enough. So I just have to fight, 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 fight in the way that I know for more. And we're saying, hey, back off for less for a minute. And yeah, so I just wanted to throw that out there because I think what I'm trying to say is that what I find in, in more than just this topic today is that when scarcity mentality, based on a history of not having desires and needs met over time, kind of sinks into our, our psyche, it makes doing the healthy choice feel counterintuitive. Mm-hmm. And I would love for people to start becoming more aware of that. Yeah. For sure. Man, I think it's just a huge paradigm shift, right? Um, I'm like, and I understand it. I have a lot of validation for it. I get it. Um, but, you know, I think we we get more when we do the process that you're talking about. You know, we mm-hmm. let go. We stand on our own for a minute. We do some growth. And then we come back in this really powerful way to connect. And But you don't know what you don't know. And so trusting that, I think, is hard. Having faith in that, I think, is painful. You know, I think with any new thing, whether it's this in relationship or really any kind of growth experience, it's like, ugh. It feels better to claw and hold on to, and you know. And it has a big ripple effect. Yeah, it, it actually can create effect. more distance. I find that oh, more yeah. spouses and partners will. No, no, I want connection. I need to do this, and then the other one sometimes is going. Um, oh, that's I don't. That doesn't feel good. That doesn't feel like connection. And then they're you know in this chase. You know, not not neither one getting what they really truly desire and need. It reminds me of like I, the word picture that comes up for me is when there's a person drowning mm. and they're thrashing. Yeah. When you're drowning in a long history of needs and desires and wants, and I, I'm going to put all those categories out there. Cause I think at a certain point when we start getting desperate, we start calling everything a need. That's probably a whole nother podcast. <laughs> I think we yeah. do have needs, but, but I think when we start getting so starved of our needs and desires and wants within a relationship, we look like emotionally a drowning person that's thrashing in the water and we want our spouse to jump in and save us. And they are not a lifeguard. And they know if I get in that water, you're going to take me down too, right? I mean, that, that that's a little bit like save a person in the water 101. If you don't know how to do this, they could end up hurting you too and drowning you too because they're thrashing in their desperation. And so I think that's the word picture that comes up for me as you're, as you're, as you're talking about that and the resistance to yeah. kind of making this healthy unlearn and undo process um, a possibility in relationships when, and I'm, I'm also trying to validate the reality of this, of either or both people is that like, you really are feeling desperate for that connection. Um, now sometimes I'll just go ahead and put this little sidebar in there. We do need to address that desperation and it's not because of your relationship. Sometimes that desperation is coming from something inside of you 
that's very individual that needs some space to heal. Um, you know, because there's, there's just a ton of ways that we get taught or caught messages, um, and, or we're just all out, you know, straight out wounded, um, in our past and we're bringing that in and it's, it's not something that our spouse is capable of satiating because it's actually a wound that needs to be healed. So we have a lot of things going on here. So let me kind of pull it back to, let's start unpacking why this logic is so problematic. We'll start high level and then maybe start drilling down and rabbit trail as you and I do in our nuanced dialogue. Um, everybody buckle up. Okay. So you complete me on a very high level is unhelpful. Um, one, because it implies that you are missing something on your own, mm-hmm. um, that you cannot, you cannot find within you. Now we can go a hundred places here from a mental health and psychological perspective that I, I to piggyback on what you're saying, I think invites enmeshment and codependency. Like I cannot myself, it, I think it invites us on the triangle. Mm-hmm. Um, right. You need someone to rescue for you or do for you. It like kind of invites you into the victim corner. I don't like that. I hear the theological pushback in the background on this where, you know, for some faith circles, there is this belief that we are either fallible or incomplete or not enough from a, you know, righteous, unrighteous perspective. Mm -hmm. I, I can hold space for that. And I still think this, you complete me looking to another human is going to be a problem. Okay. Can Mm -hmm. we put that out there? Okay. So maybe I am not complete without, um, a spiritual dynamic relationship, um, you know, for me, um, with my Lord and savior true, but for me to go, I am, you complete me. I am not enough on my own and look to my husband to do that. It's not going to work out well. Yeah. Yeah. This would be very messy. He makes a very mm-hmm. bad God. I also oh, make a very yeah. bad God. <laughs> the 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 disempowerment that it gives me and the over abundance of power it gives the other person mm-hmm. is just so imbalanced, you know, because it says I have this is human to human. I mean we're I'm not getting into the faith piece that you're talking about there with like human to God or Christ or kind of wherever you are in that. Um, But me looking at my husband going, you have all this power to do for me because I have none at all or, or I don't have enough. I don't have enough is, um, I gosh, I just see that going sideways a lot too because the other person is going oh I don't know if I can completely completely complete you (laughs) and you know think about the vicious cycle that it is like I'm not complete without you okay you're not complete without me Mm -hmm. but I don't know it's just like this like it's never gonna match up the formula doesn't work itself out (laughs) and, and depending on again this is why the triangle came up for me and you guys go listen to the previous episode if you haven't yet. You're going to have some people, if that's your stance, because it's an, it's an internal posture, then you're going to have some people that will get on the triangle with you that, well, you'll have some people that get on the triangle, either become the rescuer or uh, 
persecutor, so abusive of that. Or you will have people, kind of what you're alluding to, which is they're just aware they don't want to play that role, but they may or may not know how to pull away from that healthy. I don't know. We're not implying either way. But there will be a pulling away, either in the form of a healthy boundary or um, I think sometimes people think they're drawing healthy boundaries and they are, in fact, detaching, disengaging in an unhealthy way, like these emotional cutoffs. And, and you can read about that in some of the psychological literature. And so it's just like, I have got to put up such a rigid boundary with you because you want me to do an, an enmeshed connection. And I don't, that doesn't feel good. And again, a lot of a lot of people do not have this technical language to start labeling these things. And so it's just this very felt thing that's flying around in the space between them. And it doesn't feel good. Mm -hmm. um, you know, the other thing I think about, which piggybacks on this, is so as, as two professionals who coach for intimacy, right, deep connection, you know, one of the things we talk about is having to have agency and a personhood and a voice to be able to share. That is, that in fact is the intimacy. If it were even possible, and I, I don't think it is because it's always dysfunctional, but if it were possible to truly disappear into each other, who's sharing whose voice with what? That's mm. not intimacy. Like it, it just doesn't even like practically play out. I'm just, I'm just this two part self. Like I don't, that's not going to lead to intimacy who's sharing <laughs> yeah we're just existing totally. as one thing which is why you walk around going I feel so lonely even though we're so again I'm putting bunny ears up because it's not true connection but we're so connected but I'm so lonely that's how that happens mm -hmm. oh gosh there's no voice and agency yeah yeah and for the fear that initially shows up when we start inviting into this different way uh, it's like, oh gosh, my encouragement is always like, you're going to get so much more when you get in touch with your whole self and your spouse gets in touch with their whole self and then like the powerhouse that that becomes Oh yeah. when you have two whole people with voices and um, connecting in that is just, it's a really beautiful thing, you know? But people will fight the agency within their relationship. Because I'm going to go back to it. I think it's scarcity mentality. And most of us will get into unhealthy relational patterns with a significant or romantic other um, based on what we were caught or taught early on. And so you have, you, you, I, what I'm saying is if we sit in front of a married couple and they're doing this you know, unhealthy enmeshment disappearing into each other. And we start inviting them to differentiate for the purpose of intimacy. We go back to the thrashing in the water image. They haven't just been feeling desperate within their marriage and thrashing. There's a good chance that they got into a marriage that looks like the framework and the dynamics that they grew up in. Not always, but a lot of the times. And that doesn't mean it has to be awful either. So I get a lot of pushback on, no, 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 I had a great childhood. I am sure you did. But I am sure you also learned these habits early on. And so there's a chance that you've actually been thrashing and a little bit starving and had unmet needs since before your spouse. Mm -hmm. And it is so hard to get someone that is, the word desperate just keeps coming up. 
they're so desperate to have that need met. It's been a really long time to get them to do something that feels so counterintuitive because all they want to do is go toward. Mm-hmm. But they're going toward the only know that the only way they know how to go toward is to disappear into the other person. And so you have to like pull back in order to stop doing that so that you can learn how to move toward as a yeah. full, whole, healthy person. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, I think it comes from, you know, when talking about myths, I think they're they're in the couple, marriage, r- relating parts of our experiences. Um, but we see it, the roots of it in childhood, in attachment, what we would call it, um, and the goal of parenting, you know, and this is most of the time, many times, unintended. Um, but just this, the goal isn't differentiation. It isn't kids with whole cells. It, it's this, mm-hmm. it's a messy attachment from parent-child that we just carry into our intimate relationships. Um, and so we're just doing what we've seen. We're doing what we've experienced. Um, how I got connection growing up, fill in the blank was, right? Um we're just going to carry that on. So, that yeah, the roots are, are deep. I don't think, which is why I think it's so painful and it's there's such dissonance for a while as you pursue this journey because I think if it was just, oh, okay, now I have an intimate relationship in front of me. Let me do this skill. Okay, this isn't quite working. Let me just pivot if it was just a present-day thing, but the roots go so far back. I think for all of us, again, so whether it was great childhood Mm-hmm. terrible childhood you know again we learn how to reach out and ask for needs and connect and move away and and from for most uh, the goal isn't just this kind of differentiated whole self and, and in relating because we're just we're taught different things and a lot of times we're just we're, yeah we're taught the triangle or we're taught enmeshment or some of these other models as connection and um it just it just doesn't and so, again, I think the journey to, to differentiation is difficult, not because it's like, oh, it's some relationship skill I didn't, I don't have right now. The roots are so deep. And, but, you know, it's, it's hard to pull up roots. It hurts, you know. It is. It is hard to pull up roots. You know, I so – let's, let's take a second and, and offer, like, a definition of, of – self-differentiation, because I think that would be helpful. And uh, one of the ones that I like is just this idea of um, setting apart oneself as distinct from others. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's what it means to, se- to, to self-differentiate. Like, that's yours. This is mine. And it doesn't mean that you are disconnected. When I know what's yours and what's mine, I actually can connect in the context of that in the knowledge of it, in the awareness of. Um, but I actually can't connect with you if I can't tell the difference between what's yours and what's mine. What am I sharing at that point? Mm-hmm. And and so this idea of, of agency um, over the self, you define yourself, you have and label your feelings and emotional experiences, you have your beliefs and values, um, now here's, let, let's go into some of the challenges. So, uh, we can go 
both very specifically inside of kind of the church community, which we work with a lot, and we can actually go a little bit more globally. I think people don't know how to stay self-differentiated and keep agency, and I'll even throw a word, the word autonomy out there, so the freedom to self-govern, um, because they are, and I love the word, tethered to each other in a marriage and impact each other in a mm. marriage. So if, if you are impacting me and I am tethered to you, like I can't just go be myself. It, it, it's a little bit of black and white, all or nothing thinking that if I am impacted by you and your choices are going to impact me because we're tethered to each other, I actually cannot be self-differentiated. And that is not true. Yeah. No. But in the messiness and complexity of doing life partnered in that way with someone, I think couples just wipe their hands and go, I give up. I cannot figure out how to do this. And so I want to validate yeah. that this is incredibly difficult work, lifelong work, um, that actually calls us into growth. So I wish people would embrace the work more. But I, I want to start by validating. If you're sitting here and listening to this going, yeah, but my experience is so impacted and controlled by, I, I don't agree with that language, but I do understand the sentiment and the feeling around that. This other person, how can I be my own person? Well, we need to not oversimplify the language. We need to let this be complex and nuanced. They do impact you. You are tethered to them in a marriage. But it does not mean that you lose yourself as a way of functioning, connecting, and being healthy. I heard someone say, you know, this idea that, like, love your neighbor as yourself. Well, you have to have a self to love, you know? And if you, you don't know. You have to first have a self. You have to have a self first. That's what I mean for, for those in the Christian community going, oh, I don't know. This feels really counter to what we hold on to, you know, the two becoming one. Um, you know, that and verse then, also implies that you should be loving yourself well, which I find. Yeah, well, it even talks about our relationship with God. Like, love the Lord your God with your whole mind, your whole, like, I'm thinking, there's all of these implications for, like, wholeness, and I'm like, well, you know, there's there's something in that, right, you know, Mm -hmm. that I think is really important and really healthy. Um, And, you know, we take, you can, whether it's within that faith context or not, you know, just this, what are we giving if we don't have a self and we're not whole and we're not aware of where we stand? Um, gosh, it's, I, I don't know what our spouse is getting, <laughs> you know, if it's, mm-hmm. you know, um, if it's not whole. I think inside of the um, Christian community, the uh, scriptures, if, isolated and cherry-picked, like in Genesis, where it says the two become one flesh, um, has perpetuated this myth, um, and then culture, in its own version of unhealth, has, you know, put out things like you complete me and better halves and all of that, but if I were going to hang out within um, the Christian circle for a, a minute and speak to, I don't think, and I... Full disclosure, I am still digging in and enjoying the process of relearning um, 
specifically um, kind of this this part of scripture. I mean, one of my principles in studying is letting scripture inform and define scripture, right? So it should function as a whole, uh, speaking of wholeness. And so if I'm not going to oversimplify and just sort of pull that piece out, the other parts of scripture that would help me, I think, inform how to read the oneness statement are other passages um, like a like a like three strands mm-hmm. right <clears throat> that becomes a really strong new single rope but each strand still has its own identity agency existence mm-hmm. within the rope would it be hard to unravel it absolutely so i think when we think about one flesh and and the pulling apart of that dynamic yes it would be painful unhelpful not recommended to unravel such a thing, um, but and and we know that when we specifically go to one flesh and the idea of sex, that there is a powerful connection. It it does braid you with another, um, and it is painful to undo that braid. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's stronger if the braid stays as one, and it you know it has that strength. But I I think that this idea, you know, I'll, I'll just say. I think brokenness and sin love to distract us from the real vision that's being casted or um, command in this way that we think we're doing the right thing, but we're actually doing something unhelpful. And I think this is one of those areas. Mm-hmm. Like you think oneness is disappearing into each other and that's not what God meant. He gives us all these other pieces of imagery that we can see it. Um, better than that but but it's hard it's very hard work and I think I do believe that God calls us into hard work and marriage is one of those things because it is a sanctifying process we grow marriage is not just meant there if people get married to feel good they have gotten married for the wrong reasons I think those are the byproducts of marriage that I hope and pray and want for a lot of people and we work with people to get there but if you have taken the byproducts of those things and made them the purpose of marriage it typically leads to being very dissatisfied. Yeah. Um, sure. So anyways, I, I've, I promised you I would rabbit trail again. So I, um, I just think we've missed the greater meaning of becoming one. Mm-hmm. I know. And I think we're missing out on so much. And this idea that two whole persons, coming together to make a, in the separateness and in that wholeness, in the separateness, coming together, making this whole unique other thing Mm -hmm. that is so strong and so powerful that's only weakened by these myths that, oh, I'm half until I find my other half. Um, And then I think about, all the folks out there who don't get married, we don't have a spouse or partner. So all these hazies walking around, like that can't feel good to feel like, well, I can't be whole. Like if we want to play out that too, that like you're just, unless this is what's going to happen for you, then you're a half, just going to be a half until, you know, you find your other half. I think, oh gosh, well that's, 
that doesn't sound like flourishing to me. <laughs> um, so. Well, we've got a pocket of real unhealth inside of the church on that front, and I appreciate the people who are pushing back on it. But this idea of, like, you're incomplete in your singleness is a is a real uh, disservice would not be a strong enough word, but it's a disservice. I don't think it's accurate um, at all, according to Scripture. Singleness is not, you know, second class. Um, in fact, if anything, Scripture speaks otherwise. And, you know... Okay, rabbit trail. I, I think in marriages, um, God does in Scripture speak to that there is a reflection, an image bearing happening in that oneness. But I think it is that both male and female are a reflection of the Imago Dei. The connection between male and female can happen outside of a marriage too in the greater body, right? Mm-hmm. And so this the serving alongside each other, the um allowing both to bring the beauty of the image bearing on their half. So like even with inside the church, like this idea of image bearing and and marriage's purpose and what does that mean for singles? It's just gotten so messy. And you have a bunch of people walking around to your point inside and outside of marriages feeling like I am not enough in a way that in human relationships is super unhelpful and it doesn't lead to any intimacy. Yeah. No, it doesn't. It doesn't. It's kind of a mess, huh? It's a little bit of a mess. (laughs) And all that to say, part of our conversations over lunches and whatnot have, as of recent, have been, again, we do this a lot in marriages professionally. Um, but because people are walking around with that rock in their emotional shoe, (laughs) if you will, (laughs) the same differentiation problem and health and true connection and intimacy outside of marriages is playing out all over our communities and society as well. Yeah. I don't know how to connect with you without disappearing into you, Mm -hmm. fusing with you, if you will. Like, I don't know how to be other Um, and so like we were saying in the beginning, we're going to use kind of the, the picture of marriage and romance as, as a, as a jumping off point. But this, this is true for all relationships. Yeah. And a really big problem. Oh, for sure. And I think, um, she just named the context, right? Friendship, work, whatever. Role, yeah. role and relationship you're in in your community, uh, really. And then I think um, at the risk of picking on this example too much, but it's so pressing still this last year, I think about um, yeah. how, you know, we think about a pandemic and how everyone has, you know, you have to be because everyone's unique and different and separate and the needs are different and the experiences are different and even just our ability to be in community and relationship in a way that says, oh, so here's where I am and what I need and what's going on for me as I make this particular slice of the decision pie for this thing called a global pandemic. 
and we sit in front of another person that goes, oh, well, for me, here's where I am and what I need. Mm-hmm. And the angst and the anxiety and the discomfort of, oh, no, we are in different places. And the very difficult struggle with being able to go, okay, well, I'll hold space with where you are and you'll hold space with where I am and we'll be whole people that love each other well. I think we've seen the evidence that um, we're, we're not doing that super great <laughs> in our no. uh, communities no, no. and society. And it's created such rela- relational difficulty and rifts and, um, it, you know, everything from just it was tense and it still is tense to people who just don't speak anymore over these things and, and really painful ways because we don't have the ability to go here's my whole self and where I am and let me share that with you without fusing with you um, and you do the same and sometimes that is tense to go oh I wish we were in the same place and that's really helpful yeah but I think that's well, a good think, example of yeah. yeah I think where it's going sideways and this is true marriage is too I mean you you and I have dealt with this um is if you and I are in different places, if you and I are in different places and it's either very deeply felt topic or it's going to really impact me for you to be in a different place, mm-hmm. the very broken human tendency, especially if you think you have to be the same or in agreement, or one in this dysfunctional way that we're pushing back on, is I am now going to have to impose myself on you to get what Uh-oh. I want or need. Uh-oh. Or I am going to have to disappear and pretend like I don't want or need that oh, gosh. in order for us to have this outcome. And so if we impact each other, and if that impact crossed some, and I'm going to say it's probably like some internal threshold that's a little bit different for everybody. Some of us... Sure. And I'm pointing to myself on the video. Have really strong boundaries. Some <laughs> like real protective of those internal things. And there are people out in the world who really are genuinely more flexible. I think there is some. I don't think all of that's unhealth. I think some of so there's personality differences there. The things we really care about and the things we really don't. But if if it's something that is either really going to impact our lives or we feel really deeply about. And we're in really different places. Our human, our fallen, broken, unhelpful, unhealthy human nature is that one of us is going to have to lose ourselves. Yeah. And some, some of us move very aggressively at that circumstance and try to take over and win. And some of us, some people fold really quickly and go, well, I, that's just, you know, and, and there's a lot of dynamics there. But I've seen that. Yes, in the pandemic, I've seen that in uh, workplace situations. I've seen that in, um, you know, friendships and community. And then we definitely see that inside of marriages. And then, and those are the ones that wake up, you know, 10, 20, 30 years in going, I don't even know who I am. Mm -hmm. I don't, I don't even know what I like. And let's just jump to the part that everybody thinks that it's all that we do. And it's it is part of what we do. What do you what does everybody think that does to sex? If I don't know who I am, what I like, what I enjoy, if if you have lost your voice, it is really hard to show up to a sexual experience 
to connect, to enjoy, to all those things. And, and then quite frankly, at a certain point, whoever has been the aggressor and the winner and the driver, and I'm not, I'm not even hating on that person. I, I find at least in, in romantic, intimate relationships like marriages and their sex life, eventually they become dissatisfied and they realize that it's like, I've, I've been eating from the cheap menu this whole time. Cause this, this really isn't the intimacy that I want, but most people do not want to backtrack to this deep underlying problem. They just want a little bit of coaching on how to have better sex. I'm like, well, I'm trying to do that, but it's not really about your mechanics and your bodies. Sometimes it is, but a lot of times we got to go back to this. Yeah. And that's where, and I've seen this in the pandemic and I've seen this in marriages, cheaply taught structure and rules without truly understanding the deeper concept that they are trying to coach you toward does it, it just hits different like it's not mm-hmm. gonna land you're not gonna get the same felt outcome you know yeah. and um and i'm sad i'm really sad because people have to be willing to want to do that work i know and i think that's what comes up for me the most because i have seen it work well whether it's in my own life or just in folks who have had the privilege of working with and walking with and um yeah, it's it's very sad. And it's my hope that people can get to a place where they do it now, engage this now, so that whatever relationship, but specifically the closest one that you probably have, which is marriage, is you don't wake up going, oh my gosh, what's wrong? Why isn't this working? Whether that's sex, because for sure sex doesn't work if you're not whole and differentiated. It just doesn't. Um, there's an expiration date on that looking like it works. Uh, I'll say that. <laughs> it may look like it works. It's it not It runs working. out of gas. It, it does not last gas. forever. Um, that just makes me sad because I'm like, oh, you're missing out. And it is It's the harder way. It's the more nuanced way. But, oh, gosh, the gifts that we get when we work towards our own voice and wholeness and the person that we're in relationship with does the same. Mm-hmm. Oh my gosh. It's powerful. It's powerful on a pretty exponential level. I just don't even think people have a grid for how amazing it could be. Like it's not even that they don't know how to get there. Like I don't even think they're shooting for the best. And it, it breaks my heart. Like where couples could go in their connection and intimacy, they're not even setting good goals. That's what's crazy. They come in, you know, we work with couples all the time and they come in with certain goals and typically we, you know, invite them into the great unlearn of all the things that are getting in their way, which feels like moving backwards and they struggle with scarcity mentality. This is not getting me what I want or it's taking too long. And I don't lack for empathy and I'm sitting there in my chair the whole time going, I think sometimes I have a greater vision for their marriage than they do. Mm-hmm. They still want the cheap stuff. How sad. Yeah. Yeah. Really sad. That's an unnatural. Sorry. Our culture and, and yeah. fast and, you know, cheap and, you know, it is, it's hard to, hard to see. 
when you know that better is just so close. It's difficult, so don't. I'm not invalidating that, but Mm-mm. oh, it's it's, it's so doable. And I even think from from the kind of we're speaking very kind of the depth, the roots, the foundation, and I think obviously that's where the work is and where the fruit would be. Um, but I even think just in day to day life when we're differentiated. So for example, yeah. like I think about in parenting when. You know, I mean, how many times does one parent, like, I don't care what the kid task is, uh, serve up breakfast, feed baby, diaper, nap, but, you know, and then it's like, oh, but I do it this way and you do it this way. Think about if you're differentiating to go, oh, that's the way that they do that rhythm with the kids, and that's the way I do it, and it gets done, and, like, how much peace we could have just on the day-to-day level. I think about, like, being differentiating, going, oh, that's just the way he does it, and yeah. does it get done? Yeah. Uh-huh. And I'm I'm great with that. And you know we don't have to have this one way of doing it, right? No, because he's whole and I'm whole, and his approach and my approach are different. But kid gets fed, kid gets naps, played with, homework gets done, whatever it might be. Um, I think so. I even think just on the day to day level, just the like breath and like space and capacity and the relationship and yeah. home life and friendship life and work life when it's like you're whole and differentiated me and I from you and like just how yes at our core at our roots and all of that how how it just gives us such capacity and power but just day-to-day living looks better you know like on a practical level yep and I think that you know I think about some of Personally, because you and I go through these growth processes too. We're not sitting here like on some pedestal. We're constantly learning these things too. Um, And then we work with people where we get to, we get to be in a, um, an easier to be objective place in their experience and help them get outside of themselves and see it. But I think when people resist differentiation they are used to uh, a frame around assessing what's happening in their relationships that's about winning and losing Mm. where if those are the only two options and we're different I I I either choose losing or I choose winning and it's it's like blinders and so again we are so passionate about trying to talk to some of the underlying concepts that help us as humans do the skills that probably a lot of people have from a variety of areas of their lives in the way they were meant to help you. Um, But if you're functioning with blinders on that thinks that this is win or lose, if, if, if you think that oneness is a loss of self or an overtaking of another, then I'm just I'm just inviting the listeners to consider um, everybody loses, including you. It won't be satisfying. You won't get what you want. No, not at all. Such a good point. So, if we were to try to kind of wrap up by inviting people to do differently. What would be your invitation? 
you want people to step into to help them walk into to walk in the direction of, of sorting this out of, of trying to tease it out a little bit You know, I think it starts with, as most things do, just the awareness of where you are believing, buying into, and then executing these myths. And typically we can get a sense of that, like, where are you most frustrated? So, like, he, she did not do this in the way I wanted him to do. Okay, well, then I think paying attention to to that, paying attention to where we feel lonely or we have an ache or feel disconnected I think becomes what we would call the trailhead for okay now I can start on this path to work towards naming where I'm not whole and differentiated it's just to pay attention to the where it feels disruptive or tense or uncomfortable um and then where it doesn't I think you know we probably just aren't as connected to you know, mm-hmm. um, ourselves as we need to be. So starting there, you know, with mm-hmm. what, what do I believe about this? What do I feel about this? And how is it working? Just pay attention to the data around you, your your marriage, your friendships, your work relationship. How is it working? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, talk about that day-to-day and that deep-rooted peace that comes from differentiation. Where are you lacking that? And I think that helps you get on the path towards finding your voice and your wholeness in order to, I think, clearly hold and see and accept another person's, you know, Mm -hmm. and go, oh, I can see you because I'm not so in the fog of, again, that desperation that you talk about. So, um, Mm -hmm. I don't know. That would be my messy answer for where to start? What about you? What would you say? Sometimes I like inviting people to like do the opposite on purpose, almost obnoxiously. Yeah. <laughs> in order, in order that they might start just trying to disrupt the yeah. pattern. Um, I do think it requires what you said first. So this is would be in addition to like being able to like name and notice yourself. Um, and your experience and your feelings and all of that and your thoughts. I, I think I think it'd be really neat if couples practiced actually getting into um, and this is how I do I do a lot of coaching and, and counseling is is kind of on the spot experiments when this kind of stuff you know shows up in a space and we right off the cuff are just kind of inventing something to do at home and try and see if it just interrupts things. So you know if if in a relationship you're able to kind of notice yourself and name, then I think the next step would be what if what if you could actually kind of create some space to get into acknowledging and celebrating your differences? Like just to do it on purpose. It doesn't necessarily yeah. indicate what – it doesn't determine or indicate what the outcome will be of if it's a major decision or anything like that. But if if you realize – like if I were to give an example of my husband and I, like – we're in this very different space on something, even if it's going to require a decision, uh, to create some sacred space where, and I do, I assign this a lot, no decision can be made for X number of conversations because that, the pressure to make a decision just really keeps 
us from, you know, bearing witness to the human in front of us. Um, but additionally, what would it be like to outline, oh, I'm noticing that I'm in this place and you're in this place. And like to, to just allow that to be, to look for the differences in this more um, non-judgmental, celebratory, holding space way, just for the practice of it. Knowing yeah. that if I acknowledge where you are different than me, that does not, that does not force any next step. It's just a practice of being a good witness to a person that I'm guessing most of us would say we care about. Um, and so, yeah, I'd love to see couples do that more because I think that would disrupt the habit in our brain bodies and relationships of jumping to, (laughs) Mm -hmm. um, doing what we always do, which is I need to impose myself or disappear. Yeah. Oh, that's good. That's really good. Try, try before you buy. (laughs) Just make it, make it, make it. Try it on. Much better version of that. You know, it is. No, it is. Like just, I think, I think, well, and I think we wait till we just like have it all in all the formula in our head or it all feels good and, you know, change doesn't. So to your point, just, Act as if, and then I think it starts to show up. Go, okay, well, I really believe it in my head. My felt sense of it is still struggling and growing and healing. What would it be like to look at this situation and go, oh, I see you, and you're in a different place, and I celebrate that. You know, and I see me, and I'm here, and I celebrate that. Um, mm-hmm. And and watch how it feels, because my guess is it starts to shift things, you know. Yeah. That's the yeah. Hey, ma'am, what's your takeaway from this conversation? Um, yeah, I think just, I mean, really, I think there are a lot of important things when I think about relationships and um, health. But if we could do, if we had to pick one or pick one for a while, I, I think I'd probably start there. I think it's mm-hmm. so, it's such a hinge on the door of health. I just, it's so important. And so I'm just reminded of that today. And, you know, it's not lost on me that it's difficult, complex, nuanced work. But there are things that we can do today just to go, you know what? Okay, I'm just going to pay attention to myself. Or I'm just going to try this on and do something different. It's so powerful, you know. Um, but I, I also understand that the context in which we're doing it in is it's difficult, it's hard. you know, and it's, it's it's hard. It's against the grain in a lot of ways, and um, but oh, if I could just, I mean, the freedom that it brings. So, what about you? What's your takeaway? I guess my takeaway is. Just a deep, a, a deepened, I mean, you and I talk about this stuff all the time, but as we unpack it today with some intention um, for the sake of 
sacred podcast and just feel a deepened desire to help people get there because I really do believe, I really do believe the impact is exponential. I think maybe like I, I've believed that for a while. I think it has just expanded in my brain space again, revisiting the conversations. I do think a lot of what we end up working with uh, is marriages. Um, This is a sacred, highly impactful relationship that typically is the place where most people start the work, um, but it is definitely not definitely not limited to that. And I would just love to see people across the board uh, get to a get to a space where they can function function from that place of health, mm-hmm. and and it and it truly positively impact their lives, um, like all the circles of our lives. It just could be. Yeah, I, I yearn for I yearn for health. Yeah. For people and society and communities and relationships. I just I deeply yearn for it. Thank you. Thank you for joining us. Arable Podcast is hosted by Jenna Mountain and Kimberly Galindo. And edited and co-produced by Chris Vargas and hosted on Podbean. You can find us on Apple Podcast and Spotify. Visit our website, arablepodcast.com, and find Arable Podcasts on Instagram or Facebook. You can also find both of us on Facebook. You can find me, Kimberly Galindo, on Instagram at the Kimberly Galindo. And me, Jenna Mountain, on Instagram at the Jenna Mountain.